Hello again, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Help on the Way podcast. I am your co-host, The Game, with my fellow co-hosts, Nob and Fig. Say hey, boys. Hey, hey boys. All right. Before we get into our main event of May 15th, 1993, Sam Boyd Silver Bowl, Las Vegas, Nevada, we are going to jump into the Channel 6 news, uh, which we actually have some news this week. Uh, so I will let you guys, Nob and Fig, take the news section away. Go ahead, boys. By the time you are hearing this, it will be a few days from the Dead & Company sh- tours. Um, that's happening this weekend, uh, starting at Dodger Stadium. Um, it's technically the future news, but we are still excited that it's happening. Uh, why don't you take the uh, the Phil and Friends and Wilco news item sure. as well? Sure. I'll... Philco is coming to town, as it's already beginning nice. to be affectionately known. Thanks. I didn't come up with that, but I'll take the credit. Uh, um, thanks. Thank you. I said it. Um, <laughs> members of Wilco, uh, whose names I do not know because I'm mostly prepared, uh, are going to be joining <laughs> Phil as part of the upcoming Phil and Friends show for the Sacred Roses Festival. Um, I'm most impressed that they were able to get Graham Lesh. That was a big, huge get for Phil. Um, and I think it's very impressive. It speaks to his, his notoriety within the music industry. Yeah. Um, big news on a personal front is Fig, me, I'm going to a show. Um, yeah. Um, big news. Um, at the end of the month, the uh, Dark Star Orchestra will be at uh, the beach on in Seaside Heights. It's this uh, beach venue. It's like literally off the boardwalk in the sand. Uh, I was like looking at um, you know some pictures of it. It looks really chill. Like you, you can bring your own chair if that's what you want to do. You can kind of like have like a little beach thing going on. They have a bar. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I hope uh, maybe Nob in the game can join me in this adventure. Uh, and- Saturday, June 25th. That's a firm maybe for me. Okay. I feel like I have something else planned for the twenty fifth. Yeah, it's a, a, a it, like or the twenty sixth. It's it's. I have plans for one of the two days, but no, that seems like an awesome place to see DSO. Yeah, I think it would be. Yeah, like I, I like DSO shows because like they're just so um, I don't know, so chill. Like you know, like like low pressure. You know, like yeah. you just go have a good time. Um, and I think the I think you're right. I think you know just seeing them on the beach is going to be perfect. Uh, Forty dollar tickets, like you can't beat that. It's all GA. Um, should be a good evening. Yeah, Brock is a great keyboardist. I've really I've watched a few streams of theirs and always been impressed with him. I love them. Uh, yeah, they're they're my favorite thing out there. Um, and unfortunately, you know, going back to the Dead and Company news, um, I'll be down the shore. I'll be in the Outer Banks. I won't be anywhere close to where Dead and Company will be. Um, when they come to my area, when they come to my neck so of the woods, so, I know, so tragic. I mean, hey, maybe I wouldn't be able to see them anyway, but um, at least now I have an excuse. <laughs> All righty, let's get into our main event for the evening. This is May fifteenth, nineteen ninety-three. The Sam Boyd Silver Bowl Yeehaw. in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, this was a Saturday night, a uh, smack dab in the middle of a three-night run at the Sam Boyd Silver Bowl. Um, of all people, uh, Sting um, opened for the boys um, all three nights at the Sam Boyd Silver Bowl. Um, a lot of Sting. 
open for them for a few. There's there's like a whole month or two where it's it's sting. There are some the shows in show. June where uh, Jerry actually sits in for Walking on the Moon. I I just don't know if I would go to a dead show thinking like, all right, let's listen to the Sting opener. Especially um, ninety three Sting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like. It's not like police jamming reggae sting. It's, no, uh, no, it's like weird tantric easy sex listening. sting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, but that's not what he was doing no. when he opened for the dead. <laughs> was that least... like starting of a brand new day? Was, was that that era of sting? It was, or was, it was, that... a, it was a very weird era of sting. Whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to our main topic at hand. May fifteenth, nineteen ninety three. Once again, it was a Saturday evening. Now let's just go into the sets here. Um, set one, a very short set one, only six songs. Short show um, altogether. In set one, yeah, I think it was just about two hours, I believe. Yeah, two ten. Um, yeah, which is very sh- short for a Grateful Dead show. Um, but anyway, into set number one, the boys kicked off with Picasso Moon into Peggy O. Um, then the same thing, followed by Tennessee Jed, Broken Arrow, and Bird Song. Then set number two kicked off with Here Comes Sunshine, uh, playing in the band into Crazy Fingers, into playing in the band Reprise, into Drums and Space. All along the Watchtower, Days Between, One More Saturday Night, and an encore of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, You know what? Fig, go ahead and give us your opinions on set number one. Thanks. Um, so this was uh, an interesting set. Uh, some high highs and a lot of low lows. And one of the lows is uh, Picasso Moon. Um, I have here written down that it's just a mishmash of sound. And I think part of that is also the, the mixing is a little weird in, in at least the um, the source that I was looking at. Uh, Phil, Phil was just super high in the mix. Um, uh, Jerry comes out and he forgets the lick, you know, in the right, right in the beginning of the song. At that part, at that time, you know that it's going to be interesting. And and you know, I like Picasso Moon as a song. It's just this version left a lot on the table. Uh, Peggio then comes out and 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 I have written down that it's jaunty. It is a jaunty Peggio. It, the the tempo is like a horse trotting. I've never heard Peggio kind of done this way. Um, so it was interesting. So okay, so so they're they're kind of on the upswing. I really like Same Thing. Uh, that's a song that I don't get to listen to that much, but that's one of their kind of more smoky blues jams, and uh, it's one of my favorites, so uh, that was a cool one. Uh, the Tennessee Jed was a lot of fun. Uh, Jerry sounded great with his vocals. I have that starred. If you want to listen to uh, one song in the first set, I'm going to say it's uh, Tennessee Jed. They get into Broken Arrow, which um, I it's not my thing, uh, and we'll get into Bird Song. I, this is just cacophony in in my mind um they at one point you thought that they were going they were building to some place and then it all, it all fell apart back into chaos um do you guys do you, do you remember the show uh, or the movie walk hard the dewey cox story yes do yes. you remember when he was like in his um brian wilson phase and he was like trying to write his like magnum opus song and they were in the studio they were like the whole band was stuck in the studio with him while he yeah. was yeah and like the the one guy was like, this sounds like ten different songs being played at the same time, and that's how I felt. Uh, Birdsong was. <laughs> uh, everyone seemed to be kind of doing their own thing in Birdsong, and it was truly um, 
cacophonous and a real low point in in the set. Nob? Yeah. Picasso Moon was a rough omen for the set to come. Um, Yeah, Jerry did not know how that beginning went. Um, I usually like the same thing more than I liked it tonight. Um, I do think it's a fun, like, smokier blues thing, but I found this one to just be a bit of a slog. Uh, I did write down, it is hard to believe this is only seven minutes long. Um, but I thought Vince's solo there was pretty good. Um, I will agree that the Jed was a lot of fun. I'm not normally a Jed person, uh, but I thought it was really fun, and it was one of the songs I appreciated having Phil in the mix, because he was doing some really cool things. And then we get to Broken Arrow. And I think it's clear that Phil likes this song more than anyone else. <laughs> not not just in the band, but in the crowd. Maybe even <laughs> including Robbie Robertson. You, like, he has a love for this song that shines through so in his vocals that do not translate to anyone else's playing. Um... It's funny you mentioned that I had this moment, I think I was like doing the dishes after dinner today, and I just had this like like fantasy play out in my head of of Bob Weir getting, you know, a note that Phil wants to do Broken Arrow and like just seeing his reaction to that, be like, I I'm gonna have to go with it, I guess. Like I can't see him willingly going along with Broken Arrow. But they played it a lot, you know, to their credit. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this is an early Broken Arrow. This uh the song had only debuted about three months prior with the dead. Um, and yeah, the bird song is a low light. There's almost an other one-y kind of vibe towards the beginning, which is almost interesting. Um, very like discordant and dissonant, but having almost that drive to it. Um, and then it's never that good again. (laughs) They are not listening to each other. There's a particularly rough transition from the jam back into the chorus. And don't get me wrong. My band plays Birdsong, and I've been responsible for dozens of terrible transitions from the jam back into the chorus of Birdsong. This is game-recognizing game. That was a rough transition back into the chorus of Birdsong. Um, yeah, in a very short set. Yeah, it wasn't not my favorite 1993 Grateful Dead show. I think part of the the shortness of the first set um, was I checked out the weather for the day, and it's, it's mm. Vegas. You're in a bowl. Uh, it was hot, so yeah. I could see them trying to kind of retreat back into the confines of their the green room to come out later with set number two. Yes, according to the archive comments, it was um, raining pretty much on and off throughout the entire day, up through and including set one. Um, and it does appear, uh, or seems like anyway, that the rain did stop, um, and cleared up at the beginning of set number two. But, uh, you guys have absolutely nailed my thoughts on set number one. I pride myself in being a set one guy, and this is one set one I will avoid time and time and time and time and time again. Uh, Picasso Moon was just rough. Um... <laughs> And I do like Picasso Moon, but I don't... This is probably the worst sounding opener, at least of our time with the podcast that we've listened to together, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I was, it was rough. Um, 
really not much else to say really positive for me for set one um tennessee jed i do like tennessee jed um so that was a standout for me um would i remember feeling like, on the same thing um that was rough too um that was rough too really the picasso moon the same thing and broken arrow and birdsong were all <laughs> i don't yeah. want to say unlistenable two-thirds of the set I yeah. don't want to say unlistenable, but I would have been an unhappy camper sitting in that audience. Yeah, that's probably a good point. <laughs> I mean, 1993. Just in terms of song caliber for, you know, first set con- song caliber, you know, just looking at it. It's not it, even like a good, like... Yeah, like the song choices. No, I'm not thrilled wow. on paper, nor yeah. having heard it. Not yeah. at all. Like, all oh, like, uh, let me sit down for this brand new, great the same thing like, <laughs> like ugh. anyway yeah um i think we could probably say with confidence that set one won't be our featured set um of of this week's episode uh but now let's go into our thoughts on set two and uh knob i'll let you take it away first i am more positive on set two than i am on set one that might be the nicest thing I say for the next two minutes. Um, I think the Here Comes Sunshine is really well played, um, but their voices for the uh, from the start of set two up until Drum Space, all of their voices sound really bad. Um, like Jerry's, Jerry can sound off in the '90s, and I'm used to that. But Bobby sounds uncharacteristically like vocally tired. That plane in the band that we're going to get to, like, I almost didn't recognize his voice for a second. Um, often with harmonies, like in this Here Comes Sunshine, there's like a, a reach of them going up to the note. And you, like, I physically braced when we would hit these choruses. Um, there's, uh, during playing in the band, at one point, Vince starts doing this, like, choir sound on his synthesizer. It's like these grandiose, ha. Just during playing in the band, and when I heard it, I started laughing. Um, <laughs> I do like the transition from playing in the band. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> I like the combo of playing in the band and Crazy Fingers. This was not the smoothest transition I've heard of it. Um, there's a pretty good groove on the Crazy Fingers. Like, I wasn't psyched about the Crazy Fingers. I found the harmonies to be pretty spotty. I found the groove to be a little bit uninspired. And then we got to the solo, and it was beautiful. It wasn't the greatest Jerry solo I've ever heard. It's probably not the best Jerry solo on Crazy Fingers I've ever heard. But the guitar is singing, and everything for one minute is just right. And then the chorus comes back in, and everything is bad again. But for that one moment, and that's the thing with a show like this, is it's not full songs that I find myself going to, but it's moments like that. Um, And and I think that's why... you were seeing the Grateful Dead in, in 1993, right? Like, you know, yeah. I don't know if people were expecting the whole, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing, the whole package, but 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 those moments were priceless. There's a uh, jumping ahead. There's a prime Bobby moment during the All Along the Watchtower um, where he mixes up, he repeats uh, that the line is said from the Joker to the thief instead of the thief he kindly spoke, which really isn't a big issue. And he's like, it's fine. And then he gets to the next line and realizes that sets up the rhyme. And he cannot 
go back to the old line. And so you hear him like half-heartedly say the first half of the line and then just not say anything. And it's great. Um, the days between was a highlight for me, weirdly. The first like minute or two, everyone kept changing their tones and their like sounds that they were making. And it, the song was lacking like a sonic identity for me. But once it really got going, it was lovely. Yeah. Just really shown. Um, and then, should I, t- do we, I'll, we'll talk about the encore in a minute. Those are my thoughts on set two. So I rated set two probably a little bit higher than you, Nob. Um, I thought Sunshine was great. Um, you know, the, so, so there's a lot of uh, weird vocal effects on, um, on some of the vocals, and you can hear it especially at the end of Sunshine. I yeah. thought it was kind of cool. It gave Jerry's voice kind of like a shimmer. And yeah. I don't know if it, if that was like an early auto tune or what they were doing there, but it was probably trying to hide some of those really tough uh, vocal yeah. harmonies that you get on Sunshine. Um, but I thought it was good. I mean, I think they, I thought they pulled it off. It was a good good opener. Um, playing in the band, uh, Crazy Fingers playing the band Sandwich um, was good. I, I thought that the 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 band, sorry, the jam in playing in the band was kind of meandering. It didn't really go anywhere. No. Um, I did think that. Um, Crazy Fingers, and then the second playing in the band were highlights of, of the whole show, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, a Days, I thought, was very powerful. Uh, Jerry's vocals really shone through. Uh, another yeah. huge highlight. And they actually have a pretty cool uh, outro jam that I was liking. Very kind of ethereal and very kind of yeah. atmospheric. Um, leading into Saturday Night. And uh, before... So I guess they come back on, and there's some tuning before the encore, which we'll talk about. And this is my little little note for the uh for the music geeks out there but um vince and jerry were jamming on some bach so it was it was walk it off or walk it off by uh by bach and that's the one's like like it's a very famous melody I thought it was interesting. I think Vince was playing it yeah. and Jerry was actually just kind of riffing it by ear and he actually got it like 95% of the way, which I thought was actually pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so before we talk about the Encore um, game, what do you think? I agree. Um, I did really enjoy the Here Comes Sunshine. Um, I think you could really feel the crowd energy pick up uh, yeah. during the Here Comes Sunshine, uh, which probably is due to the fact that the rain stopped. <laughs> and um, again, I was reading the archive comments today, and someone said like that they swore that as soon as they started playing Here Comes Sunshine, everything just stopped and the sun came out and everybody was happy and magical. And um, I like reading stuff like that. So yeah. definitely Here Comes Sunshine was a uh, highlight of set uh, two. Um, I didn't care for... Um, there was a MIDI somewhere in the beginning of set two, I'm going to say. And I did not care for it. I don't know if it was from Here Comes Sunshine or playing in the band. Um but I did not care for the MIDI in the beginning of set two. Uh, Crazy Fingers, um, as always, a highlight. I wish it would appear on more set lists that we uh, come across. But once again, Crazy Fingers. And a 93 Crazy Fingers. I don't think um, there was many um, like real late 90s um, Crazy Fingers. So that was really good. Um, and as well as the days between. Um, Jumps in space kind of skipped on through like I normally do. Yes, uh yeah. All, all along you the watch, all along the watchtower. 
I want to quickly go off on a little tangent here. I know people love this song, and I get it. Um, I'm just not one of those people. Um, and that includes 2022. Like, Dead Company, when All Along the Watchtower comes on, and the set list feds go crazy, I'm normally not one of those people. <laughs> so I'm um, not, like, Dylan to me. Like, the whole Dylan aesthetic that they you know, did, and I know they did it throughout their whole career, but, like, that never really, I, did, I, I don't identify with Dylan as much as, you know, the, the Dead obviously did, or um, as much as many other Dead Hens do. So, yeah, Watchtower for me, like, if it was Hendrix's version of Watchtower, then right. I might be more into it. Um, you know, the Dylan version, the Dead version, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. Agreed. G. Havens does a really nice version. I'll throw out. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Days Between was excellent, and One More Saturday Night was uh, One More Saturday, Saturday Night. night. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we end with the, uh, I guess we could stay stereotypical, um, yeah. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, okay, that's my thing. It, <laughs> ju- like, it just, it feels too on the nose. Yeah. You know, like it feels easy. Like it feels like it feels like the dead had their songs that referenced LSD. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not a child here. But there's there was always a coyness, a, a, a slight cleverness to it. That this just feels too easy for them. Um it's and I I that's what I think was so because as we do this show my my expectations get lowered a little bit because not every song is good. And we get to the chorus of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and the harmonies don't quite sound right, but they sound like they're having fun. And that just makes the song in the top half of the show for me. But at the same time, it just feels too cheap and easy to get jerry garcia to start singing lucy in the sky with diamonds i i don't know why they started playing that um you know what i think happened this is the head cannon i think i think somebody i think vince started playing on his synth the the lead part you know and it's iconic you know keyboard riff and I think Jerry was like, let's do it. You know, I think like, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Maybe it wasn't the best idea to do it, but it definitely became a part of what they were doing at the end there. The, yeah. do, I know ha- Phil have, is a big fan because he keeps doing it with Phil and friends. Have they done any other Beatles songs? Well, they started doing a bunch in the 90s. They had done a few in the past, like... Uh, Hey Jude with both Brent and Pigpen as yeah. well as like Get Back and Day Tripper in the mid 80s. Okay. Um but in the 90s they had a really big kick with and honestly a lot of it was led by Vince. They started doing Tomorrow Never Knows, uh George Harrison's I Want to Tell You, um yeah. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. There's probably a couple others I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but they all kind of started debuting around the same time in the mid 90s. I just I I kind of like my Beatles songs, Beatles songs to be Beatles songs. Yeah. I don't know if I've like. I'm trying to think of a cover of a Beatles song that I enjoy. And in general, or just the Dead. In general, oh, Dear Prudence. Uh, 
Yeah, I was gonna say Jerry's Dear Prudence. Yeah, okay. yeah, would be that's my good. one. Yeah, that's one that's in the Dead World. That's one that slipped my mind. Jerry Dear did Prudence. Eleanor Rigby uh, in like the mid seventies. That 70s, is nice. Which was, that which the was After really... Midnight Eleanor Rigby. Is yeah, lovely. that was real like th- jazzy version of that. That's really cool. I th- I think th- my my favorite Beatles songs would be ones that I think wouldn't sound good to be covered. Like, well, and I think that's what they were. That's what that was the like, whole plan, right? Like. You know, like, towards the end, they weren't touring, and and they were just in the studio making songs for the studio and not like, to be reproduced. I'm a big fan of the ballad of John and Yoko. Yeah, and I, would that sound right being sung by anybody else? I don't think so. <laughs> um, when I'm 64, I mean that's a cute song, but I I don't. If if we're at Dead Company and they start busted down into what up 64 i'd be like why are they doing this like it, Cause, it, cause it, they're well past 64 yeah like it was just <laughs> it was about they're not trying to for their youth yeah, it's... <laughs> who are you trying to hide yeah i um, don't know here's a question do you think that when john lennon wrote lucy in the sky with diamonds that he was that he knew that it was lsd i yes. don't know if he did the minute he wrote it down but it definitely occurred to him before it was released. Like, he definitely yeah, knew well, definitely. at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know if he did the exact minute that he wrote it down. I, they wrote that. See, now now this is taking a quick segue into being coming a Beatles podcast. It is. I'm they, okay with that. Let's do it. <laughs> they, they wrote that when they were in their, like, Maharahi. I've said that entirely incorrectly. Um, Maharishi. Maharishi. Yes, the Maharishi. That, that, that was in that stage, right? That's a little bit now. before for everyone before but that. George. Yeah, it was. This was their like LSD phase. So, oh yeah, yeah, like that cuts. I mean, so the Mah- the Maharishi thing came in '68. This is like more of a '67, '66 song. What did they do during the Maharishi stage? Well, that was like White Album. Okay, okay. And there's still some psychedelic stuff going on, but the White Album it just runs the gamut. So all over the place. Yeah, it's a lot of, and, and I mean that in the best way possible. When yeah. did they officially? When did they officially break up? Nineteen seventy. Seventy. Late seventy, I be- believe. Technically, they internally decided they were done. I believe so, at the end of '69. So yeah. there was that. There, there was about a couple, couple years in there that we could have had a Beatles Dead show <laughs> back to back, '68, '69. Well, I know that. George was kind of farting around San Francisco. He did not like it, though. I mean, he didn't like it. I wonder if they ever really crossed paths. Oh, that but... hurts my feet because because George is my favorite. I yeah, he... I'm a big George fan, but I he think George is always I... seemed to be very uncomfortable and a little self indulgent. That doesn't surprise me, but well, I think he's uncomfortable and self indulgent. But boy, he play a guitar. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not the biggest George fan over here, but really, I'm really not. Yeah, I like George. I like them all I'm though. George not fan. Ringo. I don't care for Ringo. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the, the dead do. Going back to the since we are Grateful Dead podcast. <laughs> this is a Grateful Dead podcast. So, Fig, what were your thoughts on the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds encore? I just wrote. I don't think I really listened to it. I just wrote two question marks <laughs> as if like why why do they do this? Like it doesn't need to be done. Uh, the caterwauling from Vince in, in the harmony harmony is just. I mean, I agree with you, Nob. Like it's too on the nose. It's too much of like a wink and a nudge. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that they did it a lot, and and so you know, to their credit, they they kept with it. But for me, I don't rate it. I think it's something that should have been, I don't know, left alone. 
but but I'm a I'm a Beatles snob. I really am. So, <laughs> you know, anybody covering the Beatles, like even the Grateful Dead, I'm like, eh, let's let's leave that alone. <laughs> Here is a a little ending question, and and let's um, in fact, before we end this week, next week we're in the '80s, so this is a nice little exercise. So next week we are featuring September second, nineteen eighty. Um, which is a Brent show as well. We are discussing a 1993 show, which is firmly a Vince show. If Bruce couldn't do it full-time, and Vince couldn't do it full-time, or just say there was no Vince in the picture, do you boys have a a keyboardist in mind that that could have filled the role in the mid '90s for for the boys because I I gotta be honest I think a lot of what I don't like about the the the, the middle '90s is Vince and yeah. his tone and just like he's <sighs> I, mean, I feel I bad because it's like you know you read about like his like you know struggles and things like that and how you know etc cetera, etc cetera, but it's like he just does not fit to me He's, in my ears. Yeah, I'm a little bit softer on Vince than a lot. Um, I do agree that he's definitely not the best fit of all the dead keyboardists. I often, my thing is, I don't think he's usually the problem with 90s shows for me, but he's rarely saving them. He's um, kind of an easy target, kind of like Donna in the 70s. It's, I can I think see that. The big, reason and this is a bit of why he got hired in the first place but they the band was put in a bit of a tough spot after brent because brent did the work of two people brent was taking both keith and donna's role in the band and so they just wanted to hire one more guy just a new brent and it's hard to find someone who's very good at keys and has that really high voice that was going to complement what the rest of the band was doing and they picked vince more than anything else because he had the voice um, that he, could, well, I, I feel like his high voice is always very um, what, now like, off. Like it, it, it's not. Yeah, it's definitely not the best. Don't get me itchy. wrong. But they didn't try out a lot of options, and from yeah. what I've read of the options, he was pretty much the only one who could also sing. Now I'm imagining Brent doing um, doing Donna's part and playing in the band, just <laughs> just screaming. <laughs> I think it's cowardice think on it. his part that he never did. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I like Vince. I mean, there's a certain majesty to the Grateful Dead in the 90s, in the Vince era. And he brings that with his synthesizer. Like he, he's, he's got a good synth yeah. sound. He really adds a lot of, of, of context and color to the music. Yeah. Um, but it's the caterwauling. I just, it, it takes it away. And, and, you know, the dead are known for their harmonies. And, and he couldn't produce and you know I, my understanding is that bobby you know would always rag on donna for for being you know scoopy and pitchy and i don't know why that didn't happen with vince unless it did i just don't realize it but i just feel like that's where vince falls short is is actually in the uh the vocal harmonies i kind of think sometimes at the mid 90s like after brent that they were kind of complete and, and i have not read many books on the topic this is just from Reddit posts and et cetera, et cetera. But it almost is like they've become kind of complacent. They were, I mean, there's a quote from Bruce Hornsby that I'm going to paraphrase immensely. 
but he was talking about how he wanted the band when he was playing with them in the early 90s. He really wanted them to like mess around, do something weird, play Warfrat to open a show. Like just really mess around with the set list and not do what they were used to doing. And Jerry basically looked at him and went, man, you don't know what it's like to be burned out on this. We've been doing this for 25 years and the passions are 20 something years at this point. And like, it's just not there. And, uh, yeah, they that, had to feed the beast, right? More than it, that was so much of it. It was it wasn't just them and their families they had to take care of. It was all the people that were under their employ who weren't just employees but personal friends. You almost it makes you wonder if they would have taken off like ninety two, ninety three, ninety three, ninety four. Hell, well, they do ninety one, ninety two. They do take some pretty big breaks in there to, for in the interest of Jerry's health. It takes some time to either get him into rehab or to uh, various, like, health and wellness sort of programs. Well, yeah. The other thing is... Wait, Say something did... happy, though. Say, please. <laughs> no, I mean, this is more ruminating, I think. Um, when when did the Touch of Grey video come out? Oh, 87. 80s. 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 Yeah. All right, so yeah. it wasn't the 90s, but I think I still think that, you know, they were catapulted to another stratosphere and i think that that was a big that part of it another reason that they were out there because they were playing well they're playing the, the sam smith silver bowl whatever it's called sam, sam boyd, boyd. <laughs> yeah i mean they, <laughs> they were you know they were at a different level they were doing different stuff i think at that point and, and maybe the music wasn't the, the 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 top thing but but they were at least they were doing it i don't know that's true it, it, it'd rather we have stuff to talk about and yeah. do to not years later is something to talk about. So anyway, let's go ahead and wrap up our show for this evening. Uh, we actually have no Reddit comments um, um, on on this show, so that lets you know what Reddit also thought of our 1990. You know what? My message to Reddit. You're all cowards for not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we are featuring September 2nd, 1980. It was a Tuesday night in Rochester, New York, at the Community War Memorial Auditorium. Um, and looking at this set list, I could tell you I like this set one a heck of a lot more already, <laughs> as opposed to the set one we just listened to. Um, we won't go into too much. Um, looks like we kick off with a new Minglewood. Ooh, Friend of the Devil set sugary. one. Sugary. Yeah. Oh, set two? Next week, it might be a whole show week. The whole show looks good, yeah. as, far as, set, as far as the set list goes. So anyway, we will do, uh, dive more into September 2nd, 1980 next week. Like always, please make sure to smash that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on. You may find us at wherever podcasts are downloaded, but not ones that end. Strike that. Reverse that. We, you may find us wherever podcasts are downloaded, except for ones that rhyme with modify. So if you happen to have a service that rhymes with modify, you won't find us there. But you will literally find us every other place there you can download podcasts. You may also find us on the web directly at helponthewaypod.com. Dot podbean.com. You may email us at helponthewaypod at gmail.com. You may find us on the top sticky thread most 
most times on reddit.com slash r slash grateful dead uh as well as as um knob said earlier in tonight's show dead and company tour starts in just around 11 days um and comes out next week it's in a couple of days a couple of days, couple of days, strike that reverse. Hours, couple really? days, couple couple out. Oh, yes, time is Hours, ticking even. to win the great minutes. Dead Company tour starts. Um, if you have not been on the subreddit during a Dead Company tour season, it is very, very, very fun with set lists each night. Um, pre-show set list most day, um, and then show set list as well. So please. If you're looking for people, people to hang out with during the show, if you are on couch tour, please come join us at reddit.com slash r slash grateful dead. And a cheap plug for my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the GD channel. That is it for this episode of the Help On Your Way podcast. I am once again your co-host, The Game. Uh, and good night from my co-host, Knob and Fig, as well. Say good night, guys. Good night, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for another lovely week, and we'll see you next week on the Help on the Way podcast.
Yeah. 